everybody's just looking for as much joy as they can get. And Christmas music really does it for a lot of people. From the couple who put the Chris in Chris Kringle, the K2 Studios proudly presents a Christmas extravaganza. Brought to you by the world famous Chris and Christine Show. Hey, what's happening, everybody? How are you guys doing today? You know, I am Chris. And I'm Christine, and welcome to the 68th episode of the Chris and Christine Show. Do-do-do-do. And a great old Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, Happy New Year, and Happy Holidays to you. And to all of our podcast listeners, we are so grateful for you. Thank you for bringing joy into our lives this holiday season as well as the rest of the year. Thank you so very much. We really appreciate you joining us today on this Merry Christmas, Happy Holiday journey. So, Chris, are you in the holiday spirit yet? You'd said that it's around mid-December when it starts to gear up for you. Absolutely. And it's been a very, very rough last couple of weeks, a few weeks, if you have not heard already, is that this house had been stricken with the COVID uh, problem of 2020. It finally touched down and landed at our house a couple weeks ago. And it first came with Ezekiel. He was tested positive. And then, uh, unfortunately, Christine also tested positive. And because Christine tested positive, and we are all living in the same house being quarantined. Unfortunately, sad to say, the COVID finally got its way to me. The star of the show. (laughs) So I was also stricken with the illness of the COVID-19 plague. (laughs) Yeah, the uh, pandemic. (laughs) The pandemic. So I was actually hit with it too. And because I was hit and because we were all hit, we were all under a lockdown for for a while now. Yeah, we definitely were. And we're just starting to emerge from it. And fortunately, um, the virus, while Chris had some mild symptoms and Ezekiel had no symptoms, I was pretty ill. Right, Chris? Yeah, Christine actually had an incident. Well, she almost – well, she did go to the hospital – and she was rushed over to the hospital by the paramedics because she thought she couldn't breathe. And she was doing very, very poorly, throwing up, vomiting, all that gross stuff. And uh, well, they thanks. Took, <laughs> well, I know. It was gross. So they rushed her over there and they gave her an IV, checked her vitals. And I guess she they was- gave me a bunch of medicine. Right. A whole bunch of meds to keep, take care of her nausea. And then they kicked me out of there. Said, Get out of here. We need <laughs> real people that are sick. Well, actually, it was because uh, I'm immunocompromised. And I've mentioned that before. And I'm sure you can hear it a little bit in my voice that it's still lingering around that it was safer for me to be at home recovering because I was able to breathe enough and I was getting good oxygen levels and they uh, gave me enough to open my airways that they said it's actually safer for me to not be in the hospital. And it's such a crazy time in our world that we've come to where it's safer for you to be at home than at the hospital when you have a weak immune system like me. Right. And they're also uh, pretty short on uh, hospital beds from what I've been told reading the news lately that the numbers keep going down. And that's why the state has been on lockdown. And it's why the restaurants and everyone's throwing a big fit about that because they're closing restaurants and closing businesses down left and right. It's been a very difficult time to get into the holiday spirit. So if you've got more than your normal share of the holiday blues, 
news. You're not alone. We know that it's been hitting a lot of people this year. And so we're hoping that we can help to get you through the holiday season with a little bit of fun and hope and joy because we've made it through. We know that not everybody has and we don't mean to downplay that. But today I'm very thankful for the breath in my lungs and to have the love of my family here and um, we're being extra careful, right, Chris? Absolutely. And and we, like I said, we've been on lockdown for the last like two or three weeks. Three, been, three and a half weeks. Yeah, yeah, three and a half weeks. And last week, we were both very, very sick. And so last uh, episode, if you might remember, was a podcast rewind that we did from an earlier episode. We plugged in there for you guys just to give you guys something so we don't leave you high and dry. But we are back live this week. Both of us are here together to bring to you this Christmas extravaganza. Yes, definitely. We have a great show lined up. But before we get into that, Chris, I would love to hear from you what some of your favorite Christmas traditions are. For me, Christmas traditions really have been, like I guess, getting all the kids around the Christmas tree and op- opening presents. And because of my schedule with work, I have to work 24-7, uh, 365, no matter what day it is. So I don't usually get the typical like Christmas off like most people do. So if I have to work on Christmas, I got to work on Christmas. So what we usually do is I would have the kids... Um, come over on my nearest available day off the, around Christ, right. around mm-hmm. Christmas. So it wasn't exactly on that day. So whatever, say the day after or whatever it was. And then we have the kids over then. And then we would do the Christmas uh, presents exchange. And my right. parents would come over and we'd have like a big dinner and a big hangout. And, and I really enjoyed that stuff. And then, of course, the lights and the, um, the fireplace going. I right. love having the fireplace going and watching Christmas movies. Uh, not to say you love those uh, Hallmark, <laughs> Hallmark movies. movies. Oh, my goodness. You've probably seen every single Hallmark movie they've ever invented. Twice. Actually, some of them have come on three times. That's, you know, I really heated. My doctor took me off of work until the new year because I really need that time to recover this is about as active as I am today. This is the most I've done for weeks. But uh, my doctor said that I had to be pretty much on bed rest for several weeks. And so that included me sitting in bed or on the ki- on the living room couch uh, watching Netflix Christmas movies. And I love – not Netflix, Hallmark Channel Christmas movies. There you movies. go, yeah. And I love Hallmark Channel. You know what's funny is that I was asking <laughs> – Who's the bad guy in this movie? You say there's no bad guy. I said, how could they be a how could be a movie without a villain? If there's no villain. What's the the villain of the movie is like is like New Year's Day must be the villain. Is it Christmas is like the hero and the villain is time slipping into the oh future? My gosh. Like we have to go back to reality. We have to leave this Christmas uh, paradise behind and go into our our job. And it's always a dilemma. There's always like the person falls in love. You call it the cute meat. Yeah, they, I call it the cute meat. Where they hook up, they bump in each other. At, they at, don't hook up they meet oh i'm sorry yeah they bump because in it's it. hallmark they don't even kiss really they hold hands that's a goal real far yeah but so they well, i think i think though chris i love these movies though because they are simple and they just bring joy and fun they are definitely a fairy tale we know they always what? are Get gonna, out of they here. always have a happy ending and nobody has a real job either by the way oh, well, person the librarian the other person is like the uh what is he what is he like the uh, snowman maker of the town okay, stop but I love them because the scenery of the Hallmark Channel movies when they're set in the small towns reminds me so much of the town that I grew up in. And that is Kingsburg, California, which is a little tiny Swedish village. And uh, when you go down the main street in downtown, not the first street you enter into, but downtown, it has all of the gingerbreading on the shops. 
It has the Christmas tree lighting that they always feature on the Hallmark Channel movies. It has the cute little shopkeepers that come out in their cutesy little outfits and like very festive and hot cocoa people walking, holding hands down the street. Apple cider. Absolutely. And there's the cute little festivals. Of course, not this year, but typically every year there's a tree lighting ceremony and then uh, the second week of Christmas, there's always a festival called Santa Lucia. What, wait, wait, say it again. Santa Lucia? Santa Lucia. So Santa Lucia is a very um, important part of my growing up. And so because I grew up in this little Swedish town in California, there's a lot of Swedish traditions. And none is more important than around May, which is our Swedish festival with the Maypole getting erected in town. And around Christmas time, Santa Lucia. So the legend is the story of Santa Lucia is that she was a young maid that lived in Sweden and she would go out in the wintertime and she would help to take care of those that were sick and homeless and she would take hot food and beverages and clothing to help take care of them. And she would go out at night when it was the coldest and because they didn't have like lamps at the time, She wore a crown of candles and it's really, she was a real person. She wore a crown of candles. And so it looked like a halo when she would walk down the streets and people would think that she was an angel. And I actually, when I was a senior in high school, I was selected as a junior as a Swedish festival queen, which means your reign is for an entire year. And so when you're the Swedish festival queen, you automatically get to be Santa Lucia. And so when I was 17 going on 18, I dressed in the traditional white Santa Lucia gown with the the red sash around my waist. And I wore the crown of candles. They were electric at the time, like battery operated. I hope so, gosh. But traditionally, um, they aren't. You normally would wear like a, um, a, a cloth on your head in the center and so for pictures, I did the, the live candles, like when I was on the news and stuff. And, um, but for the real parade, I had the battery operated ones and you have a whole court of maidens. So it's like 10 to 15 young women. You're like entourage, your crew, yeah. right? It's really a beautiful festival and it really is something out of a Hallmark movie. And you know what? Maybe after I graduate, I'll write a script about my town. There you go. You should and sell it to Hallmark. I you know? should. They would love it. Oh my gosh. What are, some of the, what are some of the town's names in the Hallmark movies? They're like oddball names. Do you remember what they're called? Um, okay, so the one yesterday is Cookie Jar. Cookie Jar is the name of a town. Yeah, Christmas Town is another one. Oh, what Chris? Oh, that's very uh-huh. original. The, another one was like Clawsville. Clawsville. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Who's and the then mayor? There's like of a lot of there's a lot of like Pine Valleys and Cedar Pines and like the town of Christmas Tree or Evergreen. <laughs> Evergreen. Evergreen. Um, what's another one that I just saw recently? Oh, it was so funny. What was it? Um, like. I don't know, Candelabra or something. There They're very go. cliche. Uh, but there was one and it was called Kings or Kentsbury. Kentsbury. And, and huh? it made me think of Kingsburg, my of hometown. Course. Yes, very similar. Right. But I could totally write a script, honey. And I but I love my small town home Christmas traditions. And for me, it just doesn't always feel like Christmas if I don't get a trip back home and 
drink mom's homemade apple cider and make Christmas cookies. Well, it is Christmas week this week and Merry Christmas to everybody. And I hope that I know 2020 has not been the most ideal year for Christmas and for gatherings and things like that. In fact, the state and the governor, they actually want us to skip out on Christmas and, and cancel it. And to that, I say Poo-poo, no, no. Well, I mean, I think that everybody needs to be very careful how they celebrate because as our recent circumstances have showed to us, it can be very dangerous. Well, that is very true. And I think, I mean, we've all, we've had COVID, we've had firsthand experiences with it. And and for us personally, it's it's affected everybody a little differently, which you found out because Ezekiel had no symptoms at all. And I thought I personally was going to skate by with no symptoms, but then I finally caught a cold. And that's when my symptoms were like a a sinus cold kind of thing is what it felt like for me. And then I got the extreme where we thought, that I wasn't going to make it. And so right. it was very scary. But with all that being said, the holidays affect all of us in different ways. And this week's guest is going to share with us some options for how to get through the holidays and to find some joy. And if you can't find your joy, how to get some professional help to make sure that you take care of your mental wellness. Right, Chris? That's right. And we will have her on the show right after this. Hey there, K2 crew. We love having you as our loyal listeners. To keep up to date with what's happening behind the scenes, check us out on social media. Yeah, you can find us on Instagram and Twitter. And don't forget to follow our Facebook page. Yeah, tag us in your favorite fun stories. And guess what? You might just end up on the show. Say, Christine, have you finished all that Christmas shopping yet? I actually have. I went a little overboard this year, Chris, and that's because I visited Fanatics. Fanatics is the world's largest collection of official fan gear from all the leagues, teams, and players that you love. And if you love this show and are looking to buy, say, a new jersey, sweatshirt, or hat, you can support us by going to podgo.co slash fanatics and get 25% off your next order. That's podgo.co slash fanatics. So check out Fanatics for your officially licensed everything. And welcome back, everybody. And today we have a very special treat. We have tried to get this guest on the show multiple times. Yes, we have. She is a mental health counselor, president and founder of Heart and Solutions, an author, a public speaker, and like us. She's also a fellow podcaster. Please welcome to the show, Julie Johnson. Hey, Chris and Christine. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me on the show. We are so excited that we were finally able to make this happen. You have been so patient with us through floods and chaos in our life, and we are very excited to have you here today, Julie. I think 2020 has just been the year of adjusting quickly. (laughs) Right? The faster we can adjust to all of the unknowns, the better. That's right. Oh, my goodness. It's been a crazy year. 2020. Wow. It's one for the books, I guess. So Yeah, I've seen people starting to put their Christmas stuff up right now. And it's like they're posting on Facebook wishful thinking for this year to be over. It's so funny. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yeah, I agree. I've seen a lot of that. And I'm, I'm kind of great with that. I think it's really fun when people are putting up their trees. But I'm going to personally, I'm just going to wait and savor it for after Thanksgiving. I just need that little bit of something to look forward to after Thanksgiving. Yeah, usually I don't usually worry about Christmas until after Thanksgiving or maybe even December. But I was at the gas station last night and Mm -hmm. I'm hearing music playing like they usually do. And I'm like, what is this? Christmas music? (laughs) 
Oh no, <laughs> I can't take it. It's too much. Too, too, it's too early for me right now. That's right. I think everybody's just looking for as much joy as they can get. And Christmas music really does it for a lot of people. Absolutely. Now, I will admit that I have started to indulge in the Christmas movies already. I've been watching them on Netflix, and I think I've gone through almost all of them. So then I'm going to move on to Hallmark Channel. (laughs) (laughs) There's something so comforting about those lifetime type movies. You know, there's not going to be an unexpected plot twist. And I'm really okay with that. Sometimes you need a little bit of, of just mundane comfortability sometimes. Exactly. Something to get a little bit lost in. But speaking of getting lost, where are you joining us from in this fantastic world that we live in? Yeah, so I'm here in Iowa in the Midwest in the United States. I never used to say I was in the United States until I started podcasting (laughs) and being a guest on podcasts. And now you've got to say the country you're in. Right. Oh, really? It's an international world out there. I never thought about that, actually, saying we're in the United States. I just assumed that, because I think most of the podcasting community is from the United States. I just assumed that, you know. Well, maybe that's only the podcast we're familiar with because we don't speak other languages. That could be it, yes. Yep, but you're right, Julie. So you live in the Midwest, and has the Midwest turned more towards fall and winter already, or has it been pretty warm for you? It has been kind of rainy this week, Uh, but last week we had unseasonably warm. We had 70 degrees. My daughter and I were uh, quarantined for COVID because my husband was uh, exposed to COVID. So we left the house before he got home. We were in a hotel for a few days. And, uh, and it was 70 degrees. So we were able to be outside and we weren't stuck in this hotel room. Um, so that was, was really a gift last week. And now this week it's rainy, but I'm at home, so I don't care. So you say your husband was exposed to COVID. Did he actually catch it? Did you guys get a test? He didn't. So we were really, really lucky and we were really grateful. He was exposed to somebody who had spent the weekend with somebody who had tested positive. And so uh, that person got a test. We left the house as soon as he found out. Uh, And so we didn't have any exposure to him. And then the person that he had been in contact with, that person got a test. Uh, Five days later, we got the results and it was negative. So we said, great, we're coming home. Well, that's good. Yeah, that's great news because, you know, we're just trying to limit the spread. But that was great that you all knew that he had some contact so that you and your daughter could definitely be in a safe place. I think in most cases, people don't get that heads up that there's been a contact. And that's that's really challenging. So we were really grateful that we had that heads up. Yes, that's awesome. Well, I'm glad that you're having some good weather out there, but we would love to learn a little bit more about you, Julie. You have a very fascinating background. So can you tell us a little bit about yourself, your family and your career? Sure. Um, Yeah, so I grew up in Boston, Massachusetts, right outside of Boston, and uh, came to Iowa in 2007, um, followed a boy out here. So there you that's go. my current husband. Oh, congratulations. It actually <laughs> worked out. Fairy tale ending. Iowa boy. Yep. That's right. So uh, it did work out. We decided to come out to Iowa where he was from. And, uh, and I had always wanted to do something with counseling, but my undergrad was in criminal justice. And I had wanted to be an attorney. And then as I was taking these classes, I realized that, you know, there's kind of 
in this country, there's this um, punitive model of punishment and prison. And then there's this rehabilitation model, right, of prevention and of, you know, working through different things um, and different cultural aspects with people so that we can uh, narrow out some of those factors that cause different crimes. And so when I was in my undergrad, I realized kind of which side of that I wanted to be on. Uh, and I chose the preventative side, which to me meant working with kids in some kind of therapeutic capacity. So I moved out here, I got my master's in mental health counseling. And I started working at a counseling agency, uh, became vice president there, I worked there for several years. And then uh, really decided to start my own agency in 2014. So we've been up and going for the last six years. Um, this last year has definitely been one of the most challenging in terms of innovation within the company. Um, I feel like every day still we have something that comes up that we weren't expecting. Um, but it's actually been really great that it's happened in this sixth year because we've had we have all of our processes and structures mm -hmm. in place over the last five years. And then now this year, I felt like, okay, everything can, you know, bring it on, <laughs> whatever it is. <laughs> We've got kind of our baselines there yeah. and, and established. And so that frees us up to be innovative with these new challenges that come our way. So I have a question that may be a little bit um, dumb, but I no. <laughs> I have never known what the difference is between counseling and therapy. Is there mm. a difference? Mm, it's such a good question. Um, we actually just did a podcast episode about this on You Need a Counselor, um, my podcast. So a lot of people get confused about what is a counselor, what is a therapist, what is a psychiatrist, what is a psychologist. And really, a counselor is a very general term. So within our agency, we have in-home behavioral counselors. Those are bachelor's level counselors who work on skills development with children. And then we've got licensed mental health counselors or licensed mental health therapists within the organization. And they're doing the outpatient mental health therapy. But when we're talking with people in this field, we kind of call everybody a counselor. So the counselor is kind of that overarching uh, term that we can use. And then under that, there are mental health therapists. These are going to be master's level or above counselors who are licensed within your state. So if you are looking up a counselor to see or researching a counselor, make sure that they're licensed within your state because that really keeps them accountable for the ethical codes, the ethical guidelines, and the licensure requirements of the state. Uh, and then there are psychologists who are typically more involved in the research aspect of mental health. So while psychologists might meet with clients weekly to do mental health counseling, really their main focus is going to be uh, doing experiments, experimentation. And so when you think about doing lab rat type experiments, <laughs> yeah. that's not your licensed mental health counselor. Okay, got it. <laughs> that is, you know, you, you picture this scientist uh, in a, in a lab, um, that's likely going to be a psychologist. And then a okay. psychiatrist, yeah. And then a psychiatrist is a medical doctor 
who just happens to specialize in the mind and the brain versus a podiatrist who specializes in the feet. Okay. So then you are a licensed mental health counselor. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah, okay. that's correct. All right. Um, so and I'm super open about this on the podcast, but I do go to, I call it therapy and maybe I've been calling it wrong, but I see she's a licensed clinical social worker, but mm. she does meet with me once a week. And that's because I feel like taking care of my mental health, especially in the midst of COVID is really important. But is that considered therapy or counseling? It is. Yeah, it's it that would be considered both. So counseling being that overarching term and then a licensed social worker is a is eligible to do mental health counseling. So here in Iowa, there's kind of three facets. There's our licensed social workers, there's our licensed mental health counselors, and then there's our licensed marriage and family therapists. Okay. And and all of them are licensed within the state. It's just different boards that oversee them. And every state calls them something different. Can they be uh, interchangeable? Can you go to one for one and one for the other? Or do you have to only go to the family and licensed therapist for family problems? You couldn't go to another one? It's such a good question. Yeah, they are interchangeable. So we have licensed mental health counselors who specialize in couples counseling or who specialize in uh, parent-child interaction counseling. And then there are marriage and family therapists who that's their degree, that's their foundation, um, but they also see individual clients and work with individuals. So it really is specific to that provider. That really helps make a lot of sense to me because I know when I was first searching for a therapist or somebody to support my mental health a couple of years ago, my insurance gives me this list of people and you go through online and it's like, somebody's a psychologist, somebody's a social worker, somebody's a licensed marriage and family therapist. And I'm like, does this mean that one's better than the other? But they all had different specialties and like different combinations of specialties. And so I know for me, I had to find somebody that was a good communication fit for me, somebody that I felt super comfortable with, because even if they have all the right qualifications, just picking a random therapist or counselor isn't necessarily the right approach. Am I right? That's absolutely right. And it sounds like you really did that work up front of kind of vetting these different counselor options that you had. And that's so important because so often people will kind of pick one and go to that person and then they don't feel comfortable or they don't feel like um, it's a good fit. And then they stop counseling altogether. <laughs> so it sounds like you did a really great job. And this is really what we encourage people to do is go out and vet these different counselors because there's no possible way that every counselor is going to be a good fit for you. And as a counselor, we know that not everybody is going to vibe with our style either. And so it's just really about finding that right fit because at the end of the day, every counselor, whether they're a social worker or a psychologist or a psychiatrist, um, they're all humans, right? They're all people. And so you can teach different interventions to a hundred counselors and they're all going to use that intervention in a different way because they're still human beings. And the main uh, tool, the main necessity of a counseling relationship is that it be authentic. 
And in order for it to be an authentic relationship, that counselor really does need to bring who they are to that session. So, Julie, being that it is the year 2020, (laughs) and being that it is a lot of people are cooped up at home, (laughs) they're supposed to be, not that they are, (laughs) and with that, do you see business booming with the therapy in general? We saw a really sharp decline um, at the start of this pandemic. And since maybe September, uh, we've seen a very, very sharp incline in new referrals. So I think what happened when the pandemic came, everybody felt kind of unprepared. um, And all of our routines were so severely broken. Uh, the, the supports that we typically had, even people who had been in counseling weekly for years and years, uh, because all of our routines were so disrupted, we had to start basically from the ground up, a lot of us, right. um, in building our new lives, what our weeks looked like. And so a lot of that interfered with a lot of people's counseling. Um, but I feel like I've seen just here lately, a lot of people who went, you know, three months without it or six months without it, kind of coming back into the flow of it. Because I think that now, uh, over the summer, we kind of thought, okay, it's, you know, it's going to get better. It's going to be better by Thanksgiving. It's going to be better by Christmas. It's going to be, you know, kind of just kept that can kicking down the road. And we thought, um, you know, I think a lot of people thought, that it was this was kind of temporary. I think that now in the fall, as the season changes, uh, I think that it's kind of sinking in for more of us that this is not temporary, that we really need to have a new normal. And in this new normal, it kind of doesn't feel like we're on vacation from our life anymore, right? It's right. kind of like we got to build these structures back into our weekly lives. Uh, and so we have seen a huge increase uh, in counseling services. Uh, when school started, the schools really did a great job in identifying students who had had a really hard time over the summer. Um, we know that when pandemics like this happen, uh, domestic violence really increases um, and right. everybody's routines were off. When unemployment rises, then child abuse rises, right? So um, with everybody being kind of cooped up at home, parents trying to virtually teach and do their jobs at the same time, uh, and just not having those supports naturally in there. Uh, We're seeing a lot of children um, now really, really benefiting from the routine and the structure of counseling. Yeah. So you bring up a really good point because so many families, their routine was completely changed. And one of the things that Chris and I had talked about, what impacted me dramatically when I had to move to working from home is I no longer had anybody outside of the household to really process through whatever happened in my day. And so, you know, he would come home exhausted from work. And all I wanted to do is, you know, wait up for him until two or three in the morning and talk. And he was tired um, or vice versa. And, you know, we were the only people we were interacting with. And I know that emotions can get a little bit frayed. And I know it took my therapist a couple of weeks to get up and running on the, um, telehealth appointments. And I was so grateful when she reached out by, she called me and let me know. I was like, yes, how quickly can I get in? And I know in those early weeks, part of it was 
just me being able to have somebody to talk to and vent with and process through things with. And now at this point, as we're further along in the pandemic, um, she's really helping me to lift up out of, you know, just being in the day to day and see things in a healthier perspective. So I'm a huge advocate for it. So thank you for sharing a little bit about your background. We're going to dig into that more in a little bit, but I know that you have some other interests and hobbies. Did I hear something about you being an expert in decluttering? <laughs> um, yeah, I think as far as we can, we can ever kind of reach expert level in decluttering. <laughs> I feel like uh, I often refer to decluttering or the decluttering process as uh, as like a toilet, right? Because there's always going to be new uh, things coming into my house, and I need to have a process by which I can move all of that stuff through um, and out of my house again. And so um, sometimes people think, you know, I, I get to this point in decluttering and then everything's just going to be, you know, calm in my house and I'm going to have minimal things for the rest of my life. Um, but what I'm finding is that it's it's a lifelong process of learning about ourselves, which has been really, really great. Um, but just like a toilet, right, we have to keep flushing it, right. we have to keep getting stuff out of our, um, out of our homes and out of our lives to make room for other things. Um, so yeah, I, I teach some decluttering workshops. Um, and those have been just really, really fun for me, because, you know, I when I go through my own home, everything in this house is personal to me. It's in here for a reason. Um, but when I go through other people's homes, uh, I'm invited, when I go in. but when I go in there uh, to do this and kind of guide people through this, uh, or when I do workshops, it's really helpful to me to hear these stories. And I think oh, yeah. a lot of times it's kind of like counseling. Counseling is kind of like the decluttering process, but with emotions and thoughts and feelings that don't serve us. And so if we've got our counselor weekly, it's like we get to all of that input that's coming in, we now have a system and a process for processing out what doesn't serve us anymore. And minimalism and decluttering is really the same thing, but with physical items. Okay, I have to jump in here and ask you a question because Chris and I have seen lots of episodes of the show Hoarders. Uh -huh. And one of the things that we've talked about is like the emotional aspect of why people keep things even if they don't use them. Like what is behind that accumulation of clutter? And so if we were to, we're not necessarily clutter, clutter people. I mean, we have some clutter, but we're not minimalists. We're like somewhere in between. But if mm -hmm. we were a very cluttered household with lots of things that maybe we aren't using regularly. Useless things, let's add that Well, too. we don't have to say they're useless. I mean, to the people that are holding on to them, they have a hope that there will be Like useful. a value or some sort. Right. So how would you walk us through the letting go process? I mean, I've watched that Marie Kondo show, like you say goodbye to it, you kiss it, you hug it or whatever and release it. But how would you help us through uh, sure. decluttering? Yeah. Um, it, so you said a lot there that is really, really uh, helps a lot of people to kind of uh, tune in and understand this 
this problem. And Hoarders is a huge one. I love Hoarders. Um, I love watching that show. Anytime I'm in a hotel or somewhere where there's cable, I watch that show. Um, And you know, the emotional side of it. So actually, there was a a new DSM-5. DSM is the Diagnostic Statistical Manual. And that is what we use in the mental health field for diagnosing. And so uh, there was a new one came out, um, the DSM-5. And in this current DSM uh, Statistical Manual, there is a mental health condition um, called hoarding disorder. And it wasn't in the previous versions. And so I think it's just now kind of becoming more understood um, and more widely accepted as a clinical diagnosis. And what's interesting about that diagnosis is that it's within the impulse control and anxiety related segments of the manual. Oh, wait. So hoarding or like holding on to clutter is connected to anxiety? To anxiety. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think a lot of times we think that when we watch that show, we think, yeah, there's something going on, right, mentally with this person. Maybe they are struggling with a mental health condition, but we don't always think about anxiety. Um, but what they what they've done in this manual, this diagnostic manual, is they have put it into the anxiety category, and it makes sense in a lot of situations. So, uh, if I am looking at a, I think on hoarders, a lot of times what grosses most people out is the expired food. Oh right? yeah, like the food and the rats. From- Yes. And the, oh, yeah, the cats, all the cats, the thousand cats and fur everywhere. In the freezer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And so we can kind of look at it through an anxiety lens, though, in terms of that expired food, for example. So uh, there was an episode recently where a guy had uh, a bottle of Mountain Dew, right? And it was like five years expired. And he said, well, I feed that to the, the animals. Oh. And they, <laughs> And they said, are you kidding? You're feeding animals expired Mountain Dew? But really what oh it came word. down to. Mountain Dew, that matter. <laughs> that's right. That's right. And so what it really came down to, or what it comes down to, even for a lot of us, even for me, is that when I'm, when I'm holding an item in my hand, where the anxiety can sometimes come in is, well, what happens if I let this go and then I need it later? Yep. And, yep. And, yeah. <laughs> and it's Especially with, you know, on, on hoarders, we see this with the food items. But I think for for us who are, like you said, kind of in that, if you came into my house, you would not say, oh, this is a minimalist house. Um, but you would say, you know, she's got what she needs. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so if I look at an item, typically for us, it's like, the, I always give the example of that second toaster, right? Like you had a toaster, it maybe doesn't work so well, you got a new toaster, but we keep that older toaster what <laughs> i'm feeling singled out right now julie <laughs> you only have one toaster <laughs> that you know of chris <laughs> so this is that you know that second toaster that we hang on to we know that we're not using it every day we know that we've got this toaster but our mind immediately goes into a future where we don't have enough money to buy a toaster right right and so the, the anxiety can really come in there. And the way that we would treat hoarding disorder is really the same way that we would treat anxiety, which is to help the person develop strategies to be more focused on the present 
moment. Oh, wow, yeah. Because anxiety can't survive in the present moment. Anytime that I'm in anxiety, if I say, okay, Julie, where are your feet and where is your head? And if I'm feeling anxious, it's because my head is so far in the future, (laughs) some imagined future, that I'm not feeling the actual emotions that are happening where my feet are. And so, so you're thinking of head. You're, so basically, you're saying you're thinking way long term, like what if, what ifs, like disaster prepping. Yeah, we're thinking long term. We're thinking if I give away this, what if I throw away this uh, art project that my daughter did, and in 30 years she's mad at me because I didn't keep enough of her art project. Yeah, what, right? what are you going to do now? You know. Yeah. So. Absolutely. And so I think we we get to that place and then it's easier to just hang on to the item uh, rather than face uh, p- the potential future of the consequences of giving that up. And so uh, what usually I'll tend to say is let's answer that question. If that's the question that is coming up, there's kind of two things. There's if that is the question and I'm holding this and I'm not giving it up, not because I like it or because I'm using it, but just because I'm afraid to let it go because I might need it in the future. Uh, I would say, okay, what if I need it in the future? What will I do? And sometimes having just that plan of if I do need this in the future, what will I do really does allow us to let feel more comfortable letting go of that item because we kind of think ahead to the future far, just far enough to give us anxiety about it, but not far enough to let us resolve <laughs> the anxiety in the way that we would if that was in a real timeline. This totally so- this totally makes sense. And I will just highlight about a week and a half ago, maybe it was two weeks ago, Chris and I decided to purge our closets here. And uh, we were going through different things. I was having a hard time letting go of some clothes. And I kept looking at it and asking myself, Christine, when have you worn this in the last 12 months? And then that fear of, but you know, it's a special occasion dress. And so if I have a dinner and I don't have a dress, then I'm going to have to go and buy one and I'm wasting money. And I had to ask myself that and wrestle through it. But then as I was cleaning my closet in the back corner, I found a box. And Chris, do you remember what that box was full of? No, tell me. Now I'm curious. (laughs) Your old work uniforms. That's right. There was like 15 of his old work uniforms. And now I have to tell you, he has a whole stack of them, of regular ones he wears all the time. And he just got a brand new set of uniforms from work. So he has more than enough. But we pulled it out and he says, well, like, what if I ever ha- get another job and I need these and I need to put them on and I'm not going to have them? And I said, but you have like 10 or 12 now. Do we really need this extra 15 or could we let them go? And he looked at them and pulled them out and he's like, but they're sentimental. <laughs> and I said, then you could keep one, but we don't need to have all of them necessarily. And then finally he sat and he looked at it for a few minutes and he said, you know what? It's okay. We can donate them. And it was like a moment where I realized, oh my gosh, I do that same exact thing with a million other things in this house, but it's having to ask myself, like, what is my purpose for keeping them? Is it like an emotional attachment or is it a scarcity mentality? And so what you're saying really, I mean, we're not cluttery kind of, well, I'm a cluttery person. He is not at all, but this is making so much sense. Thank you, babe. Thank you so much. (laughs) 
Yeah, and I think even with the idea that, you know, something is sentimental, there is an anxiety uh, base sometimes with those holding on to those sentimental items because there's this idea of there's going to be pain. There's going to be pain when I let go of it. And I'm, am I inviting pain into my future when I think about this item and don't have it, right? And so we, we experience the pain now, um, and then we experience that imagined pain that we think we're going to have in the future, and we hold on tighter to that item. But I think that if we take it that next step further and we say, okay, this item is sentimental, When I experience this in 10 years, when I think about this item and I realize that I don't have it anymore, or my child asks me about it and I wish that I had it to show her, what am I going to do? And the truth is that we all experience pain on a daily basis. We all experience discomfort, maybe not pain, but we all experience discomfort, right? We do things we don't want to do because we know they're good for us, um, or we put off things that we should do that we know are good for us, and that causes us discomfort too, right? So we're all, we have this discomfort all the time. And so we do have these coping strategies to be able to, uh, to work through that discomfort. And sometimes the answer to, well, what will I do? What will happen if I need this in the future? And I feel regret that I got rid of it. And sometimes the answer to that, if we really try to answer that question is that then I'll feel regret. Wow. Yeah. Well, some people, uh, they have a hard time dealing with that. And right. what I was going to ask you, Julie, is do you find that the quarter mentality the hoarders the the seem to be more of the ones that have the lesser income that know that i don't make a lot of money so i'm gonna need to save this other toaster because this other one i have when it does break because things do break that i'm gonna have to go on to that one because i cannot afford to buy a new one Yeah, I think it all really comes down to it's such a great question, because I think that that's um, sometimes something that comes through our head, no matter what our income is, if we've got anxiety about money or resources or scarcity, we're going to have that no matter what our income is. And so if we've got, um, I think a big part of it really depends on like, what are we relying on to get our needs met? Um, and this is a really big question. Uh, it's one that in 2018, I did a no spend year um, oh, wow. where I did not spend money other than daycare and utilities and groceries once a month. Um, and the purpose for that no spend year was really to take my dependence off of money. And there are a lot of th- places that we put our dependence um, on, right? And so one of them is money. A huge one for a lot of people is money. Of course, um, but yeah. Sometimes it's like social status or sometimes it's the things in my house um, or sometimes it's uh, relationships, right? And we see people get really dependent on certain relationships or like my job or all of those things. Um, and it really comes down to where do I look to in order to get my needs met. And if that's a situation where I'm, I have lower income. So I think about like myself in college um, and, you know, in high school, I was at um, a boarding school in high school. And so my like 
spending money for stuff I actually wanted <laughs> was just based on, you know, my high school job. And then uh, in college, I was doing the same thing and I was working at a bowling alley. And so I think about myself in college there and what was I placing my dependence on? And actually, I remember that at that time, I really wasn't placing my dependence on money because I didn't have any. <laughs> um, and so it was, it was, it was actually easier for me to not place my dependence on money. Um, but I was, I maybe would place my mon- my dependence on, okay, these are the things that I have from when I was growing up and I can, uh, I can still have these if I can't afford to buy a new toaster. Um, but I think that the, the biggest point here is just, it's really important to look at what we are placing our dependence on. Like, am I placing my survival on a toaster? All right. right? And and how likely is it that uh, that a toaster having that toaster is going to make a difference in in my life in that way? And then also, um, you know, what are the other places that I can put my dependence instead that are maybe more sustainable than that toaster? So in my no spend year, um, I found so much um, that I was able to put my dependence more on my community. Um, I was able to put my dependence more on my neighbors and friends and on borrowing and like Facebook marketplace and free sites and all kinds of things there. Um, and I was able to realize that, you know, the things that I, that I currently had, um, weren't going, I couldn't go buy new ones, right. For that year. And so I had to rely on other things and on bartering and on, um, you know, do swapping favors for, for different things. So I think it just really comes down to not necessarily like how much stuff do I have to keep me safe or how much money do I have to keep me safe or how much, uh, you know, what are my relationships to keep me safe? I think it's just a matter of identifying what those are and if that is serving us or not. Well, this has been very, very intriguing and I've learned so much from this section I would love to know about the podcast that you co-host and do you tackle topics similar to this? Yeah. So uh, the podcast is called You Need a Counselor Podcast and uh, the mission is pretty straightforward. It's to let everybody know that you need a counselor uh, and so do we. My co-host and I um, are, we're, we work together at Heart and Solutions. And what we're finding, especially in our field, um, is that there are so many barriers to people to being able to have a counselor accessible to them. Um, And so some of those barriers are financial barriers, not knowing what the resources available to them are. But then a lot of those barriers have to do with previous experiences in counseling or just, you know, societal ideas of counseling, um, the stigma that comes with counseling and mental health care. And so what the podcast is really trying to do is just identify different ways for people that, um, that they can benefit from a counselor uh, that sometimes we don't even think about. I think sometimes uh, we think that you have to have a major life crisis in order to need a counselor or that, you know, there needs to be something wrong with us in order to need a counselor. Um, And it's really not that way. It really being a counselor and I went into it to be on the preventative side of things. And so uh, for me, when I see my counselor weekly, and I love telehealth, I am on the treadmill while I'm doing telehealth. It is awesome when I, that I get to talk to my counselor on the phone. 
we interview guests who either are counselors or who have had great experiences in counseling or have had medium experiences in counseling or have had really awful <laughs> experiences in counseling. We just talk through those experiences. And, and the point is that everybody can benefit. It doesn't have to be something's wrong with us or that there's been a major meltdown in our life or a major crisis. Um, and that everybody can benefit. And there are ways around these different barriers. Julie, do, does your co-host on your podcast, is, is they, are they also a counselor? She is. Yeah. So Krista is my co-host and she is the director of the behavioral health intervention section of our company, which is an in-home behavioral health service for kids. Um, and so she's in charge of that department. And she and I have worked together since 2000 and. 2010. So coming up on 10 years coming up. Yeah. So uh, we have worked together for a really long time. Um, and she's really great because she does bring that, you know, I try to bring the mental health counseling side of it. And she really brings that behavioral health side as well. Do you guys ever try to incorporate um, examples or maybe have like, uh, do you have listeners maybe write in like something you can talk about or questions they might, you might guys try to answer, say on the podcast? Yeah, absolutely. So we encourage everybody to, if you do have questions about counseling in general or how to find a counselor, or if a counselor might be right for you, um, anybody can send us a message either on our Facebook page or on our uh, Instagram page, and that's at You Need a Counselor Podcast. Um, so we welcome those instant messages. And uh, mainly we do guest interviews. And we also encourage that if you hear a guest interview and you have a question specifically for that guest about something that they said, that you would send us a message there too. Because when we have that guest back on the podcast again, then they can specifically answer those questions from the last time they were on. That's super interesting. And from reading your bio, we know that you also are an author and published a book. So I have a question because I think that the title was something around breathing techniques for kids. And I know that a lot of our listeners are parents and have kiddos that are managing the stress and trauma of navigating COVID. And may the kids may be experiencing some more emotional difficulties, um, more outbursts of crying and things like that. How would you recommend that the parents that are listening to this podcast support their children right now? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, the book is called Breathing Through the Year. It's a child's guide to holiday-themed breathing techniques. So uh, my daughter is four right now. She and I um, have been doing these breathing techniques since she was just under two. And uh, kids love holidays. Um, and you know, kids don't typically, I, I know I didn't learn any breathing techniques until I was in my twenties. Um, and I was specifically studying this field, uh, when I started learning a lot of those techniques. And so, um, what I've done is tried to break these techniques down in a way that preschoolers, um, so typically ages two through six, um, can really, 
learn how to use these when they are in crisis. And, you know, if you've got a toddler, you know that crises are very common (laughs) with toddlers. And sometimes it's just my juice is filled too high on my cup, right? Right. So uh, these these breathing techniques have been so helpful um, with my daughter because I I can very easily ask her, okay, do you need help calming down? And then she'll say yes or no. If she's not ready to calm down, then I, I let her be until she is. Uh, and then I, if she says, yes, I need help coming down, then we kind of have our little ritual. So uh, I'll ask her if she wants some water and I'll ask her if she needs a tissue. And then after that, we do one of the breathing techniques. And so there's 12 techniques in the book. They're all illustrated for kids to be able to see how you do it. Um, But for example, we've got Thanksgiving coming up and our uh, Thanksgiving themed breathing technique is we take a really deep breath and we stick out our stomach, our tummy, like we've got a big tummy full of Thanksgiving food. Um, and when I'm when I'm going through this with, I just always encourage parents to like talk about the different Thanksgiving foods, right? Really uh, give a visual for kiddos so they can connect this emotionally. And then so we take that deep, big deep breath in, like we've got a big belly full of food, and then we exhale and we say gobble, 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 like a turkey (laughs) as we're exhaling. And my, oh my gosh, toddlers just love this. It's so fun to be able to have this, um, these tools available. The kiddos know how to do it. If my daughter says, well, I want to do the Thanksgiving one, I say, okay, what Thanksgiving food should we pretend that we're eating, right? And that really turns on that part of her brain that is the cognitive portion of her brain. Um, that cognitive portion is not developed because she's four. And so we are <laughs> developing it as we go. And so some of the best things you can do with a preschooler, if they are having their limbic system just go completely out of whack, we go, okay, how can we get them thinking in terms of words and visual pictures that they can communicate to us? So that's going to get their rational cognitive brain back into working, right? We kind of, we've seen toddlers who like they're crying and yelling and stomping around. And then it's like a, a, light switch and they're, they're back to being totally fine. Um, and so it's because that, that portion of the brain is kind of like taken over. And so if we can get them to say, I let's pretend to eat corn, let's pretend to eat pumpkin pie. Um, that really does help with that part. And then that breathing out and breathing in. And then we just do that three times. It really just helps to give them some routine. They enjoy that consistency. Uh, and it is really, really fun parent-child interaction also. I love that so much. I think that you've equipped me with some tools to support our boys during any emotional meltdowns that they might have, as well as for myself and my partner in crime over here to ask that question without being condescending. Do you need some help calming down? Because I think sometimes in the moment, even we as adults can lose track of how important it is to breathe calmly through things instead of putting ourselves into hyperventilation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we, as parents, we've had, you know, 20, maybe 30 years of practice with how we can calm ourselves down, but our little ones haven't had hardly any practice. So oh, it I is, can tell. You know, oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. So it is a huge part of our role to help them learn 
how to calm down. And this book is a really, um, it's just a really hands-on fun way for kids to be able to learn that intentionally. Well, Julie, this has been so informative, and I know that I'm going to be looking at the resources you shared, but can you tell our listeners again where they can find you if they're interested in consulting with you as a counselor, where they can find your podcast, and how they can buy your book? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, if you're listening in Iowa, um, we are Heart and Solutions. We're a strength-based counseling agency here. Um, So you can reach us at 800 531 Four two three six. Uh, you can follow us on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram, uh, and on Pinterest. On Pinterest, we have a really kind of extensive Pinterest board uh, where we have different activities and family techniques uh, sorted out by different. Uh, challenges. So if you're looking for anger management techniques to do with your kiddos, um, go ahead and go follow us on Pinterest because we've always got new stuff out there. If you're looking for the book, um, you can go to storiesfromtheheart.shop, storiesfromtheheart.shop, um, and you can follow us on YouTube if you search Stories from the Heart. Um, you can find us there on YouTube too. And my four-year-old daughter and I make breathing techniques every week, um, and we post them there on YouTube too. So uh, you can go there and hopefully just breathe along with us. Um, my daughter always loves YouTube videos that have other kids in them, uh, and especially oh, yeah. yeah, and especially now that she's not in preschool because of COVID. Um, you know, if you if you want to follow along there, um, it's a great way to to kind of be taught by another kid, which is always fun. Um, and then uh, you can find You Need a Counselor podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. So <laughs> on Spotify, on Apple, um, anywhere there, you can search us and subscribe there. We're also on Facebook and Instagram at You Need a Counselor podcast. Well, that is fantastic. And we really, really appreciate this, Julie. I think that this has helped to center me. One of the things that we didn't mention is Chris and I had a little bit of creative conflict right before this interview. No, we did not. (laughs) So talking with you has helped me to reflect on my own emotional response and what might be triggering it and kind of breathe through that. And so thank you for just being here with us today and leaving us in a better place than where we started. Absolutely. It's been great. We love the show. Thank you so much. Thanks, Julie. The Pod Breed Network is strictly for the small podcasts that are up and coming in the vast world of podcasting. Pod Breed is made up of many diverse podcasts coming together to achieve the same goal of being the best damn podcast network on the planet. Find out more at podbreed.com. You know, that was actually pretty cool to actually be able to get finally, after so long, get Julie on the show. Yeah, I agree. And I really loved chatting with her and helping to break down the stigma for people trying to get mental health support because I think that sometimes it's hard for people to ask for help. Oh, I know. I have a hard time asking for help. You know this. I mean. I know. I, we've, I, talked, <laughs> we've talked a lot about it. Like, what are the things holding you back from getting counseling or whatever. And I think that there there is a certain kind of a stigma if people allow there to be, but there doesn't have to be, right? Absolutely. You know, I mean, Julie, I mean, she was great. She was fantastic. And, you know, it helped me to reflect on my journey through getting help and mental health support and 
um, it brings us to an exciting announcement of what's going to be happening in our household this summer. What's happening? This summer coming up, as in 2021, as in next year, yes, we are going to actually bring in another a new member of the family. We are. We are. And Christine is not pregnant. <laughs> no, not possible. Baby factory's closed. But, what? But we are adopting an emotional support dog for me. Right, Chris? An emotional support animal, which is going to be a puppy dog. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be a cute little furry thing. You know, it goes yarp, yarp, yarp and barks and runs around and does all the cute things. It's going to be a small dog. I'm not sure what kind of dog it is, but I know it's little. It's not big and massive. Although um, it's not a chihuahua. I can tell you that much. <laughs> no, and they actually don't yap. It's um, it the temperament is, and you know, of course, when puppies are little, they bark a little bit, but it's called a Habibi bear, and it's a special breed that is um, it's developed. I guess that sounds so crazy, uh, but it comes out of Seattle, Washington. This wonderful couple has um really honed their skills over the last number of years to breed these dogs for emotional support and therapy. And especially with me finishing school and lots of changes and everything that's happened amidst COVID, um, it's something that I share pretty openly is that I've struggled with anxiety, right, Chris? Oh, yeah. Yeah, you have. I think I think a little bit. I think we all have a little bit, you know, here and there. It's um, but having an emotional support. animal. I know you love Paisley so much. I do. And she's been so sick. It's been so hard. Oh, I know she's been uh, struggling with this uh, COVID and with the uh, being cold and everything, too. She is a, a animal that needs heat and, and warmth a lot and, um, and all that. But- and it's really hard when you're emotional support animal gets sick and then it's like your world feels and you're like sick it. too so so what do you do it's like a double whammy yeah so next year in the summer of 2021 is when we were expecting to get this little furball of joy into our house yes and, and i'm very excited and i think it's a really good step for me to be able to bring in um a little friend to help take care of because there have been a lot of changes and I mean, it has, it's no reflection on our family. It's just knowing myself well enough to know when I need to ask for help. And therapy has been really good for me. But also knowing that having a little companion with me to help calm me down could be really good also. That's right. I love I love little companions. I love little dogs. And I love, hey, boy, come here. Oh, God, there's a good boy. Oh, there's a good boy. <laughs> wait, wait, first off, is he going to be a boy or a girl? A girl. How do you, can you pick which one you want? Yeah. Oh, well, you can? You just yeah. do whatever? I was reading. I have like a whole lot of materials. I was reading up until like almost one o'clock this morning and like all of the different supplies to get for her and we'll get to pick and there's like different colors and things like that. But I would what like- color the dog? Yeah. Like once they're born, we'll get to have a private portal where we get to look at all of the different puppies and they help with temperament testing to see based off of my needs- what the best type of dog is and then they know that we have children at home and so what's going to be a good addition to our family dynamic and i'm hoping to get a little girl puppy and i would like to name her lola lola i just think it's so cute what if they what if they already pre-name the dog do they do that well they they do a name for the litter just for selection but that name is just for the purposes of not calling it red puppy one or gray puppy i like that one red puppy one Sounds like a, a space shuttle. <laughs> I know. Red puppy one, come in. Come right. in. 
But I really loved having Julie on the show this week. And it's just helped me to reflect on how I can take the best care of myself during the holidays, and, too. And speaking of being um, being Christmas this week, everybody opening up those new Christmas presents. We all got each other. Right. And what do you do with the old ones? Instead of let them stockpile in your closet or around your house from the pre- previous year and the previous year. And here's this. Start getting a little hoarding, hoarding <laughs> yeah. happening. And we did talk about that. And that was great. Right. And I loved being able to chat about how we can successfully declutter our households. And it's helped me too. I think I've tidied up a few things, but you know, being sick, uh, it's been a little bit hard. But I will say that as I was Christmas shopping, I did look through the lens of, is this going to be something that the kids will actually play with and have fun with? Or is it just extra stuff to feel like I got them more? So I would say we actually didn't buy as much stuff this year. And I always try to do that every Christmas now. It's, it's I stopped to try to just, just get a bunch of stuff and just trying to pick out things that they would actually right. use and, and try to not get so much because right. do they really need a thousand little things, you know, that's right. just going to get lost or broken, which you probably end up doing anyways, but, <laughs> yeah. um, or things you got to like step on and, and you got to put away in, in for them because they leave them every, everywhere. Right. Um, so I think that we tried to be simpler and focused on what the kids love and, you know, I feel kind of bad because I'm used to going a bit over the top for Christmas and I got you just a few things that I think you'll really like, but this always this this desire to like do more. And I think that if COVID and 2020 has caught, taught us anything, it's to treasure our time and our experiences together and to not get caught up in the stuff anymore. Right. Because there's a lot of a lot of things you can't do right now. You know, a lot of things are closed. A lot of the theme parks are closed, and which has always been a big thing. Like movies right now, like you always want to go to the movies. Right. I love the during, movies. During Christmas time, it's like, what new movie is coming out for Christmas? And you all go to the theater. We, we Every year we went to see the new Star Wars. It always come out during Christmas. Right. So and, this year instead, I'm going to wrap up my love for you. Oh, thank you. I appreciate it. Can I unwrap it myself? <laughs> hey, not TMI on the air. <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, you... Everybody, we are wishing you a healthy, safe, happy holiday season. Whether you celebrate Christmas or anything else, our thoughts and prayers are with you all that you would stay healthy and happy and safe. Right, Chris? Absolutely. And on that note, it has been a fantastic Christmas episode, and we will be back next week. Remember this week that life is too short to wake up in the morning with regret. So love the people who treat you right, forget about the ones who don't, and believe that everything happens for a reason. If you get a chance, take it. If it changes your life, let it. Nobody said that it would be easy. They just promised it would be worth it. Thanks so much for joining us. I'm Chris. And I'm Christine. And until next week, keep moving forward.